Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, August 17th, 2020, and today we are continuing our study on the book of Ezekiel, and we are looking specifically at Ezekiel chapter 23. Well, Ezekiel chapter 23 is the most sexually explicit passage in the Bible, and for that reason and our embarrassment, we will not be reading this chapter in its entirety together. However, please do read it at some point yourself because this metaphor is needed for us to understand our sin, that our sin is not innocent or ignorant, but it is filthy. It's also at this point that I would tell you if you are listening to this podcast in your car around young children, this is probably not the best chapter to listen to around young children. This is certainly for mature believers because we really will see a graphic sexuality is the metaphor for Israel and Judah's personal and national infidelity. This passage is an explicit condemnation of rampant lust. It's Ezekiel's best effort to offend his hearers. Ezekiel wanted to offend his hearers because that's how offensive their sin was. These words are purposely explicit. They're purposefully x-rated in order for both Judah and Israel, as well as for us as the reader to understand the offensiveness of our sin. You see, when God looks upon his sin, our sin, it is vile and it is offensive. But the Israelites, the Israelites had told themselves for years story of, of their faithfulness to God and God's reciprocal care for them. As self-indulged and as insolent as they were, they you can imagine that even a large number of exiles would have thought that the Babylonian exile was related to Yahweh or the Lord's unfaithfulness to them as opposed to their rampant sin and wickedness. Ezekiel did the only thing he could do to try to help his fellow exiles see the truth. This was not God's unfaithfulness. There was This was their unfaithfulness. He shocked them with sexually explicit parable to show them how, how really vile, repulsive, and X-rated their sin really was. There's no gentleness in this passage, no hinting at sin or finding a tactful way to ask someone to consider that just maybe things aren't quite right in their life. With no less than 14 variations of the word whore, God makes painfully clear just how pained he is by his bride's unfaithfulness to him. And beloved, if we are honest, this is all of our story as a people, as a nation, as individuals. We believe that our sin is innocent or ignorant, but we would never call it filthy or repulsive. We believe that our sin is also compartmentalized in secret. No one really knows the thoughts in our heads, the hate in our heart, the bitterness in which we harbor, or the things that we consume visually. So when things happen in our lives like COVID-19, injustice, accident, strife, loss, suffering, hurt, pain, and everything else, we begin to shake our heads and our fist and doubt the goodness and sovereignty of God. We have honestly tricked ourselves into thinking that we deserve grace 
mercy, peace, and our best life now. And so when trouble and tribulation comes, we believe that God is being unfaithful. We have the, the dogmatic insolence to believe that God is being unfaithful. However, beloved, with just one reading of Ezekiel 23, we are completely shocked to our senses. Sin is pollution and adultery towards a holy God. Our sin is X-rated and is as gross and shocking as Ezekiel 23 is. This is what it would feel like to have our sin exposed. Things that we think are secret, things that we think are hidden. Ezekiel 23 reminds us that everything that we do, even what we suppose is in secret, is completely seen by God. Hebrews chapter 4 reminds us, for the the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the divisions of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom must give account. We cannot hide, beloved, from the gaze of our God, and we cannot sugarcoat our rebellion and sin. Our unfaithfulness is against a holy God. Our sin is severe because of whom our sin is against. It is an affront to God. For instance, if my son and I were playing basketball and we were playing with some neighborhood kids, if one kid decided to spit in Caleb's face, it would be an affront and Caleb would be frustrated and we would be upset that this kid had spit in my son's face. Now take it to a next level if this kid turns around and spits in my face. Well, that's a little bit different, right? That That's not just a potential peer. That is now someone that is in authority and you are spitting in their face. Taking the next level, he spits in his principal's face at school. Oh, well, he would probably be suspended or, or I would have in-school detention at the very least. The consequence has, has been raised. If he goes and finds the mayor of his town and spits in the mayor's face, the consequences would be real, maybe even for his parents. If he could find his way to the state capitol and he spits in the governor's face. Oh, well, then we're talking about real consequences. There are consequences not just for this kid, but for his family and for all of those around him. But then imagine he could find his way to Washington, D.C., and he is on a a school tour. And it just so happens that the president comes around and he spits in the face of the president. The act is the same. When it was against my son, when it was against me, when it was against his principal, the mayor and the governor. But when it is against the president, the act may be the same, but the consequences are greater. But beloved, our sin is not against my son. It's not just against our neighbor. It's not against our principal, our mayor, our governor or our president. Our sin is against God and our adultery is before him. And the consequences are grave because sin is serious. Israel typically would have recited their history in this fashion. And and I've looked up and and still today, this is the way that Israel would kind of recite their their history, their, their history from Abraham. They would say, God called Abraham. And in faith, Abraham followed God. Abraham gave birth to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob and Jacob to Joseph, who rescued his family from starvation. 
400 years later, God called Moses to take the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt to the promised land. Moses received the law of God on Mount Sinai and led the people through the desert for 40 years. When Moses died, Joshua led Israel across the Jordan River and into the promised land. They conquered the land and drove out the inhabitants. In time, Samuel the prophet anointed Saul as king. Saul disobeyed God, so David took the kingship of Israel. David was followed by his son Solomon, and the story continues. And eventually the kingdom of Israel split into two parts, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Israel loves to recite how the Lord has redeemed them. But they twist the story as if they deserved the redemption, either because they were innocent or because their sin really wasn't that serious. Ezekiel, however, tells their story far differently. Two sisters, Ahola and Aholaba, they represent the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah, represented by their two main cities, Samaria and Jerusalem. Ohola, Israel, was the first to play the whore with the Assyrians and anyone who would pay attention to her. Because Ohala ignored her husband Yahweh, he delivered her into the hands of her former lovers, Babylon, who killed her mercilessly. Her sister Olaba, Judah, lasted a little bit longer, but she was even more depraved. Instead of learning from her sister's mistakes, Olaba was even more wanton than her sister. She played the whore with the Egyptians. She moved on to the Assyrians and back to the Egyptians and on to the Babylonians and then returned for more with the Egyptians. Like her sister, her husband gave her into the hands of her lovers, Babylon, who stripped her naked and slaughtered her as well. And then the book of the chapter of 23 of Ezekiel ends with verse 49 and says, And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty of your sinful idolatry, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Ezekiel's point was hard to miss. From the time of their slavery in Egypt, the Israelites flirted with the foreign nations, their gods and their idols. The Israelites had turned from worshiping God and had bickered against his ways and nothing had changed. Ezekiel 23 is therefore about an infinitely holy God and a woefully sinful and rebellious people. And we are unfaithful to God in the same way that they were unfaithful to God in four distinct ways that we see from this passage. The first way of our unfaithfulness to God is that we are adulterous. Verses 5 and 6 of Ezekiel chapter 23 says, Aloha played the whore while she was mine, and she lusted after her lovers, the Assyrians, the warriors, clothed in purple, governors and commanders, all of them desirable, desirable young men, horsemen riding on horses. We are so consumed with the things of this world and intoxicated with pleasure, power, protection, and having our own way. You see, the riders were, were clothed in purple, the color of royalty. Uh, Oloho was so mesmerized by the trappings of pleasure and power. She wanted royalty. She wanted governors. She wanted commanders and young men riding on horses. All along, the God of the universe wanted her, but instead she was mesmerized by the royalty, the purple, the things of this world. And let us remember that we are either faithfully devoted to God or we are living in spiritual adultery. Every one of us, every person, every child, every student, every man, every woman is either faithfully devoted to God or committing spiritual adultery with the things of this world. 
So many Christians and non-Christians believe that we can be just nice moral people who do very little wrong and yet still maintain a neutral stance towards God. But that is not possible. We cannot be neutral to God. We either either faithful or we are adulterous. God has created every single person, every single one of us for himself. And he is worthy as our creator of each of our worship. So not to give him the worship that he is due is to turn from him and give others that worship. Ohala and Olaba were adulterous. And so are we. Ezekiel 23 is repulsive when it talks about our sin. Because we are unfaithful to God, adulterous. And number two, we are idolatrous. Verse 7 continues, she bestowed her whoring upon them, the choicest men of Assyria, all of them. And she defiled herself with the idols of everyone after whom she lusted. We have to skip over verse eight because it's X-rated. Verse nine, therefore I delivered her into the hands of her lovers and the hands of the Assyrians after whom she lusted. These uncovered her nakedness. They seized her sons and her daughters. And as for her, they killed her with the sword and she became a boward among women when judgment had been executed on her. In Ezekiel, when God's people reject him and embrace the idols of the nations, he allows those nations to conquer his people. And so Israel, the people of Israel, were surrounded by all kinds of pagan nations. These pagan nations worshipped all matter of different gods. The Israelites would make trade agreements with those nations where they would get oil and food, water, wool, and grain. And as they would complete these trades, they would hear these nations attribute the wealth to idols and foreign gods that they worshipped and bowed down to. The people of Israel started to intermarry and they started to worship these same gods as well. And as a result, there was rampant idolatry amongst the people of Israel, attributing the things of this world to idols and gods, not to the God of heaven. That's why in Ezra chapter 9, Ezra is so distraught with the intermarrying of the people because he sees the idolatry of the people, that they are intermarrying and forgetting God. They're enjoying the gifts while ignoring the giver, and that is the essence of idolatry, enjoying the gifts while ignoring the giver. Today, while it's not a pagan idol or a household god that we bow down towards, idolatry is just as rampant. It is us bowing down at the altar of success. It is us enjoying the stuff that we have, houses and cars and people's people and pleasure and things, and all along missing out on what it means to give devotion to the one who gives all of these things. And many times we even mask our idolatry and spiritual devotion through religious devotion. You know that Israel was religious with the festivals, their altars and their sacrifices. But as we see in Ezekiel 23, in their hearts, they were eaten up in idolatry. Idolatry imprisons us to the things of this earth and will ultimately lead to judgment. The question for us is, do we believe that God is faithful even when we don't know where the next paycheck is coming from? Do we believe that God is faithful even when we don't know how to make our rent check or our mortgage payment? Do we believe that God is faithful when we have great vacations and lots of relaxing pleasure? Or do we believe that God is faithful even amidst trial and persecution? Idolatry is enjoying the gifts, putting hope in the gifts instead of putting hope in the giver. We are unfaithful to God. We are adulterous, idolatrous. And then third, we are hypocritical. 
verses 38 to 39 in Ezekiel chapter 23 says this, Moreover, this they have done to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day and profaned my Sabbaths. For when they had slaughtered their children and sacrificed to their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And behold, this is what they did in my house. We are hypocritical, running around with the things of this world, yet giving lip service to God. Israel and Judah were hypocritical, and so are we. We do everything to appear beautiful and presentable to the world while we are dead inside. We care about being labeled righteous and upstanding by those in the church or those in high position. But God knows our hearts. Oh, this word. They have slandered their children and sacrificed to their idols. And in the same day, they came into my sanctuary to profane it. Our land is polluted with abortion. Our land is polluted with looking down upon children. Our land is polluted with abuse and neglect of children. And yet we go right into God's house acting as if we are righteous. I had a friend and we were talking several years ago. This friend was a millennial and, and we were talking about why the millennials are, are so uh, hurt by the church as an institution and, and, and not going to the church like, few, like past generations. One of the things my friend said is that he was verbally assaulted and, and, and sometimes physically assaulted by his mother. But the moment that they stepped into a church, she became the mother that they dreamed of. She became a completely different person. The moment that she answered the phone and it was a friend from church, she was a completely different person. And they said that hypocrisy drove them away from the church. It reminds us of the woes that Jesus gave to the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23, 27 through 31, when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Oh, beloved, let us not be hypocrites. Oh, and isn't that us? We read a passage like Ezekiel chapter 23 and say, whoa, that's not us. This doesn't describe us. Oh, I would do completely different. I would be completely, I would act completely in a different way. Oh, but no, we wouldn't. Ezekiel 23 is just as much about us as it was about Israel and Judah. So beloved, let us not be hypocrites. But as Hebrews 10, 22 through 25 says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Beloved, we are unfaithful to God, adulterous, idolatrous, hypocritical. And then fourth and last, we are forgetful. And this is not just forgetting something here or there that's small. This is taking all of the things that God has given you, all of the things that he has commanded you, and forgetting about them. Verses 40 through 42. 
They even sent for men to come from afar to whom a messenger was sent, and behold, they came. For them you bathed yourself, painted your eyes, and adorned yourself with ornaments. You sat on a stately couch with a table spread before it on which you had placed my incense and my oil. The sound of a carefree multitude was with her, and with men of common sort, drunkards were brought from the wilderness, and they put bracelets on the hands of the women and beautiful crowns on their heads. This is not just forgetting. This is wanton forgetting. This is purposeful forgetting. This is turning away from God. The people had taken all the things that God had given them. They had taken the, the, the table for which God had placed his incense on his oil. And they forgot about him and they gave it to others. They forgot about the bracelets that he said he would adorn his people with and the, and the, and the, the makeup for which he would give his people. And they took the gifts of God. They forgot about him, the giver, and they, they used them for other people. It reminds us of what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 11 through 20. God was saying to his people through Moses, Moses in his farewell tour, as he was reminding the people of all the things of God from the Pentateuch. This is what he says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 11 through 20. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its firing serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there is no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power, my might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord God makes perish before you, so you shall perish because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. Oh, beloved, right there in 12 through 14, does it not remind you of our nation and the prosperity of the United States, the prosperity of the Christian church in the United States? It says, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and your gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. Think of the abundance of wealth that we have. Verse 14, then your heart shall be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. Oh, adultery is serious. Idolatry is serious. Hypocrisy is serious. But beloved, this fourth and this final It is abundantly dangerous to forget about God. And how can you forget about God? The one who created you and in whose image you are made. This is not something easy. This is something willful. We have chosen to engross ourselves in the things of this world instead of in a holy God. Oh, beloved, and we have forgotten. That is Damning. It's the most damning thing in this passage that Israel and Judah forgot about God. 
And that's why Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 49 ends in such a way. And they shall return your lewdness upon you, and you shall bear the penalty of your sinful idolatry. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Oh, as we said with Ezekiel chapter 22, it's dangerous when the Lord gives you what you've asked for, gives you what you deserve. And because of judgment, it says that the people will know that I am the Lord God. Just like Ezekiel chapter 22. Ezekiel chapter 23 is full of judgment. The thing about Ezekiel chapter 23 is it's hard to find the refrain. Where's the grace? Where's the goodness of God? Where's the rescue? Where's Jesus in Ezekiel chapter 23? Oh, but it's here and you can't miss it. Ezekiel chapter 23 reminds us, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Well, if you go over to the minor prophet of Joel, the prophet would repeat this refrain about Israel and specifically Judah. And the hope that is spoken is palatable. As a matter of fact, it's as if Joel in chapter 3, verse 17 through 18 is undoing everything from Ezekiel chapter 23. Why? Because our God would undo everything from Ezekiel chapter 23. Listen to these words. So you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh, your God, who dwells in Zion, my holy mountain. And Jerusalem shall be holy and strangers shall never again pass through it. And in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord and, the, and water the valley of Shittim. Do you hear it? Do you hear the grace? Ezekiel 23 ends, You shall know that I am Lord your God because I am bringing judgment and calamity upon you because of your adultery, your idolatry, your hypocrisy, and your forgetfulness. And then Joel, the prophet, written after these words were spoken by Ezekiel, looking at the same Ezekiel, the same Babylonian captivity, the same lewdness, God says through the prophet Joel, you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Why? Because I will restore you. Jerusalem shall once again be holy. Strangers shall never again pass through it. Oh, and in that day, the mountains shall drip sweet wine and the hills shall flow with milk and the stream beds of Judah shall flow with water. Beloved, this is living water and a fountain shall come forth from the house of the Lord. Jesus, beloved, God is holy. Our sin is serious. and His grace is always abundant. For those who come to the fountain, who come to Jesus, who wash in the living water, and come to the light of the truth, the grace of God becomes ours. And all of a sudden, the words spoken to Nicodemus one night in John 3 a verse that we have memorized and most Christians have committed to memory, has sweet, abundant mercy and grace that are so much sweeter in the light of our sin and lewdness as seen in Ezekiel chapter 23. John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him 
is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. And for everyone who does wicked things, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Beloved, our sin is not innocent or ignorant, but filthy and X-rated. However, God's grace is greater than all of our sin. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Kyrgyzstan. We are praising the Lord for the five families who are currently in the process. We are praying for a family that is currently in Kyrgyzstan and awaiting a court date. We're praying for doors to open for our unadopted ministry and relationships to advance uh, of those that have already been established. We're praying for Kyrgyzstan. They have 6 million people and 88% of the people practice Islam. Pray for the Kyrg church that she would be strengthened and the gospel would multiply throughout the country. Pray for leaders to rise up in this country that will assist in the furtherance of the gospel, as well as better care for vulnerable children. Pray that the adoption ministry will continue to find favor in our paperwork and that they will work hard and make it a priority to get children into homes ready for referrals. Pray for Jalene will continue to build strong relationships with the ministry and with orphanage directors and doctors. Pray that he will continue to find favor as he upholds strong ethical standards. Pray that God will lead us to orphanages and churches and individuals that we can partner with. Pray for Jalene and the work that he does to serve our families. Pray for our team here on the state side. And we pray for the U.S. Embassy as they continue to communicate and work through these processes. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful for your grace. Your grace is greater than all of our sin. As we see in Ezekiel chapter 23, our sin is above our heads. Our sin is lewd. Our sin is dirty. Our sin is X-rated. Our sin is filthy. We are adulterous. We are idolaters. We are hypocritical and we are forgetful. Oh God, but your grace is great. Lord, I pray that your grace would flow upon the country of Kyrgyzstan and her six million people. I pray that you would be with the 88% of the people who practice Islam. I pray that the the church in Kyrgyzstan would be strengthened and that the gospel would multiply throughout the country. I pray for leaders to rise up and to assist in the furtherance of the gospel. I pray that there would be better care for the vulnerable children amidst the borders of Kyrgyzstan. And I ask that you would continue to give favor to these families who are currently in the process of adopting, specifically for the family that is there now waiting for their court date. Father God, I pray that the ministry there in Kyrgyzstan will continue to find favor with paperwork and they will make hard decisions to give children a priority to find permanence through a family. I pray for our team, specifically Jalene, that faith would come to him and he would continue to hear the gospel from our families and he would understand what it means. I pray as well that he would build strong relationships with the ministry and with orphanage directors and the doctors pray that he will continue to find favor as he upholds strong ethical standards. I pray that God will lead us to orphanages and churches and individuals that we can partner with. We pray for the U.S. Embassy and for all of those that are working on the ground in Kyrgyzstan, that they will continue to, to, to find health 
continue to, to, to look after them. The, the COVID-19 has decimated Kyrgyzstan, and we pray for help, and we pray for healing, and we pray for openness. Lord God, would your great gospel, the gospel that washes over our sin, permeate this nation. For your goodness, for your glory, for your namesake. We ask all these things in your precious name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study. Music